When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this episode, I sit down with Kirsten Asher to talk about the FEM method and how dance can help you break out of your shell. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps. Big change, big change. Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and in this episode, I am sitting down with Kirsten Asher. Kirsten is a podcast host, company culture consultant, leadership coach, and former stunt woman, which we are absolutely going to dive in because... What? That's just awesome. Uh, She's worked on production teams for companies like NBC, CBS, and ABC, which gave her the foundation of leadership dynamics in a fast-paced environment. Kirsten now works with leadership teams to develop their company culture, along with women's leadership coaching, as well as speaking at conferences and associations. So Kirsten, first of all, thank you for being here. And second of all, a former stunt woman? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. And yes, that was a a portion of my life. That is absolutely fascinating. How, how did that happen? That was, um, so I've always been a very adventurous athletic person and uh, it would just, I would watch movies and I wouldn't necessarily want to be the actor. I just thought it looked so fun to, jump off buildings and drive extremely fast and go around corners and (laughs) all the fight scenes and all that stuff, it would just get my adrenaline going. And so there was a time where I decided to start training and did a little parkour here in San Diego at a gym here. And then they would do, they had, you know, free form gymnastics where you can just learn about the trampoline and your body in air. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just try my hand at stunts. So I, I was training twice a week at this stunt guy's house in Los Angeles called Bob Yerkes. And then, uh, just decided to pursue it even more. And how long ago was this now? Oh gosh, it was probably six years ago, seven years ago. So it was, it was a while were you, um, in anything that we would know slash, can you talk about? I was, I did, um, what's it called? It There was a funnier die that I did. And mm-hmm. then there were some scenes more so background stunt scenes. And then mm-hmm. also a Nickelodeon movie, which it was, um, Fred, Fred, the movie or the oh, movie. Yeah. 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 Like okay. that? yeah. Yeah. Fred, Fred is interesting because I mean, the dude started as a YouTuber and <laughs> blew up out of nowhere and then also completely vanished. Um, oh really? 
I mean, I haven't heard or seen anything from uh, that from him or, or his team in years. So it, it's fascinating because he had two or three movies on Nickelodeon and then just completely disappeared. Huh. That's, that's always interesting to, to hear how people rise and just disappear or rise and stay or reinvent themselves through, yeah. through their lifetime, like Madonna. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, but okay. So former stunt woman, mm-hmm. uh, absolute badass. Um, <laughs> How did you, how do you go from that to who you are now to working with companies, coaching on leadership, creating content? Like how, how does that transition happen? It was, so when I was up in Los Angeles, of course, it's hard to make money as a stunt person and get into SAG and have a consistent income from that. So I started working in production and entertainment production and realized that that was a really cool facet, you know, just to all the inner workings of bringing together vendors and different crews. And uh, I thought for a minute, I wanted to go into being a producer or a first assistant director. And through doing that and just realizing that, you know, I had hurt myself doing a, a stunt and I was like, Oh, okay. And I, I healed that. And I was talking to a stunt mentor of mine And he just, he had done stunts for years and years and years and years and years. And he just was kind of walking around all crickety. And I realized I didn't want (laughs) to, my body is a temple. I don't want to walk around all crickety when I'm, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old. So I ended up just moving a hundred percent into production and, and working my way up through that. And I just realized that there's so many different ways to lead. And I started observing, uh, production managers, producers, assistant directors, uh, leads of different crews and how they spoke to their team, how they got their team to all, you know, run in the same direction. There was, you saw people who weren't the best leaders and how that affected their team. And then how people who were great leaders and how they moved forward and, the inner workings and different personalities between a, you know, company and project. And it was really just fascinating to me. And, and I had my own experiences with good and not so great leaders and, <laughs> and managers and production managers and producers. And it just, I realized that the, um, the landscape was shifting so much and not a whole lot of people were getting on the bandwagon of this, idea of, uh, respect going back and forth and loyalty going back and forth rather than just a one way street of I'm your boss, do what I say, and I'm giving you a paycheck. You know, it, it became so much more than that. And, um, I just, I started reading it. I started taking workshops around leadership and just kind of dove in head first and wanted to be one of those people who came out and helped others shift into this leadership of bringing in more right brain qualities of, collaboration, listening, understanding, um, focusing more so on the team rather than your product or service, because essentially if you focus on your team, the, the customers are going to be happier, you know, so you'll in turn be making more profit. So that's how I shifted. Interesting. And Mm then, um, and, and before we, we sort of shift into uh, some more of the practical conversation, you're also the host of The Art of Being Feminine. Um, mm-hmm. 
where does that fit into everything that you are? Like you seem to just be amazing in all of these different places. How did, how did that come about? Thank you. That was just through conversations with different friends where you would hear somebody having a problem or, or an issue or recently went through an experience and how helpful it could be for other people. And a lot of women sometimes just think that, um, they have to deal with whatever they're dealing with by themselves, or they don't want to bring it to somebody else because they don't want to be a burden. So it basically came through conversations of different women and what they're doing and how they're bringing in their more feminine right brain qualities into their own lives, whether it's through leadership with the family finances in their company or in their job. Um, and how other women hearing those different stories could find some comfort. And, you know, there's one where we talk about depression. There's one where we talk about experiences at Burning Man. There's one where we talk about uh, men have been uncomfortable asking women on dates because now they don't know whether they should pursue the woman or not pursue the woman, you know? So it's just these different viewpoints of various women and throughout, you know, there's no, it's not just a business or it's not just a leadership or it's not just sales funnels. It's life as a whole. That is, it's, it's interesting. I always, I always find it really fascinating when I'm able to speak to someone who has uh, sort of connected uh, like who you are now and, and definitely correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm making a lot of assumptions, but who you are now seems to be so directly tied to all of the experiences you've had. Um, and, and just your philosophy on life has, uh, you can see the clear graduation from stage to stage. Um, how, if that is, if you would say that is correct, how, um, have you consciously tried to navigate that or is it just something that, uh, naturally happened? A little bit of both. I would say there's, there's times where, I'm just curious and I want to try everything. (laughs) So I, I go out, you know, I did stunts. I got my holistic health practitioner license. I went and, you know, worked for a gym thinking I was going to do, you know, physical fitness. And anytime I go outside, you know, doing production and all that stuff, every time I go and try something new, the through line is comes back to movement and dance. And so that's where Fem Method comes in is, is using dance as a technique to heal, to discover, to express, and then have that as your foundation, opening mm-hmm. you up to other opportunities and ways of thinking. So, so I, it, it's a little bit of both. Dance has always been the through line, but then, you know, getting into leadership, yes, there's, it's a very thinking space to be in. And also you need to be very connected to your body and very connected to your gut instinct, whether you want to call it intuition or gut instinct. Um, it's, it's that connection and that ability to make decisions. And sometimes you're in a high stress situation as a leader and you need to make those gut decisions in a very quick manner. So being able to be fully connected mind and body that's where, that's where you can really thrive. So what, how did you, uh, first, I guess, get into dance and and start to discover some of those like hidden, uh, 
almost like hidden powers that it has? I started in seventh or eighth grade. And first, you know, it started off as one class and then two classes. Then I eventually got into a company where you, you auditioned for, and then you were able to compete with your dance group. And I, for tuition, I cleaned the studio because we couldn't afford it. And, uh, I had a somewhat, not somewhat, I had a very interesting and troubled childhood (laughs) that was, uh, it was difficult. And as a kid, I didn't know exactly how to handle the emotions I was handling or, or feeling and, um, started to turn on myself and start hurting myself because I didn't know how to express it any other way. And I grew up in a single parent home. And so I didn't want my mom to know that things were bad. So I would put on the happy face and then behind closed doors, just hurt myself. And Um, I remember going to the studio and my mom would, she would notice that I was unhappy or something like that. She didn't know all the, the whole depth that she does now, but, um, I would just go to the studio and she'd just be like, dance it out, go dance, whatever you're feeling. And I would go clean the studio and then I would turn on the music for the next hour. And whether it was sadness or excitement or anxiety or frustration, I would just dance. And I didn't know that it was so therapeutic until, I grew up and realized that it was actually considered a dance therapy and an expression. So Mm. it was for a while I've been dancing since a young age and and now realized how helpful it was for me. And that's why I want to bring it to more people in this non-technique way, but just really what your body is feeling and how it wants to move rhythmically. As many of you know, over the last year and a half, I've been hard at work putting together the Tiny Leaps Big Changes book. That's right. I said book. Well, now that book is available for pre-order. And if you're interested, you can order it by going to www.tinyleapsbook.com. On this podcast, I've always tried to help you change your life by focusing on the specific behaviors you can take each and every day. The problem with this strategy is that it only works if you do. Unless you take the behaviors, unless you do stuff, nothing changes. Well, in the book, I set out to solve this problem. I start with a simple question. Why is it that we all know what we need to do to accomplish our goals, but are unable to do it? I then explore this question through the lens of human behavior. I interview experts, comb through psychological studies, and present real-world scenarios. The result creates a viable solution to bridging the gap between knowledge and action and creating the life you've always wanted. So if this sounds like something you want to read, and you definitely, definitely should, head over to www.tinyleapsbook.com right now to pre-order your copy. And here's a bonus. If you pre-order it between now and January 15th, if you pre-order it and email me proof, you'll be entered for a chance to win a signed copy and a free coaching call with me. There are five of these offers available, so get your pre-order in now at www.tinyleapsbook.com and then email me at greg, that's G-R-E-G-G, at tiny.am 
to enter for your chance to win a signed copy of the book and a free coaching call with me. Thanks for your support. So I'm curious, and it's it's completely okay if not. Um, obviously, I didn't send you any questions ahead of time, but do you know any of the um, uh, like statistics or or not statistics? The the numbers around how how dance actually affects the body and the mind. I do not know the numbers. It's since the fifties they've been. It started back in the fifties and they were just, their therapists were bringing it into therapists and dance enthusiasts were bringing it into their therapy sessions. And then it eventually moved on. So they're still doing studies, but there's a book that's amazing called the body keeps score and talking about how with PTSD yoga and dance and movement, we're able to help people get more embodied and understanding of the body and how the emotions are locked in your body. Sometimes people feel it in the, their neck, in their back, in their hips, knees, and moving that out and getting that energy up and out rather than just, you know, wondering and labeling it as this is my tension from last week when I had that terrible fight with so-and-so. It's, it's not labeling it. It's just observing that something's there and being able to move through and get it out. Uh, statistically, they haven't done enough studies on it to know the numbers or I haven't seen those studies. No, that I'm, I'm just curious because, uh, as I've been doing this show, there's been so much that I've, uh, my big goal with this podcast was always to sort of dive into the hard data on things mm-hmm. that seem, uh, potentially sort of woo woo. Um, because there is, as you know, uh, there is a hard fact and then there's sort of the story we tell ourselves. Um, and the story we tell ourselves is largely to s- support what we are seeing in the data. Um, now, it's been proven, as you said, that dance and, and really any physical activity can have this this uh, healing effect, especially on our emotional state. I was just curious whether or not um, you knew any of the, the research that was actually done on it just to um, dive into to some of like the studies they saw and results and so on and so forth. But completely uh, not something that's necessary. It was just more of a curiosity of mine. Yeah. Well, they've done, they've done case studies, uh, you know, on people with Parkinson's and, you know, the destruction of the motor system and how, uh, patients were better able to balance and their walk and they, the gait improved and overall just enhancement of well being. Um, but as far as, you know, 80% of this and 25% of that, I haven't seen those studies, but, um, they've done, case studies in depression and just compared the results to from dance movement therapy to the medicated results and, and the positive impacts and not so positive impacts of the, um, the side effects of medication. But it's, it's mainly the overall enhancement of life Mm -hmm. rather than the solid, these, you know, like a medical grade one where they have a placebo and then they have, a mm-hmm. the, um, right. what's it mm-hmm. called? The placebo. And what's the other one that they usually use? Um, I can't even remember right now. <laughs> one uh, of those. 
I think we we get the point. So so you've got the the control and and um, yes, the control group. That's what it was. Um. Okay. So you you are are this. How does? Let me start over on that. How does uh, your experience with dance and learning to manage your own emotions, manage your your uh, your own issues that have come from past experiences, um, and and sort of having this healing experience? How does that then translate when you are doing leadership consulting? So it's people are very um, unexpressive a lot of the time. So they're worried about coming off in a certain way. They're worried about a certain image or look that they want to portray and being embodied and being able to express yourself, whether it's through movement or dance or rhythmically give, gives people the opportunity to tap into something that they don't necessarily tap into on a daily basis and being able to find yourself in your own expression through any type of movement that's more rhythmic gives you, it bleeds over into your daily life where now you can stand a little bit more confidently, especially for women feeling this body confidence and and men too. It, it's not just a woman's thing. Men also do um, dance movement as a therapy or just going dancing. I mean, if you go partner dancing and you're doing a great job or you see somebody, it gives you that enhancement of, Hey, I got this you know, or you let off steam or you, you have a heightened sense of your own body awareness, um, which leads to showing up even more present in the boardroom or showing up for your team a little bit more. So it's, it's really finding those, those little hints of life that sometimes go unnoticed or sometimes are missing and you can, you can grasp that and bring it more into your life. And, and it doesn't even have to be dance as a technique, right? It's just putting on music and, and moving your body and allowing that the endorphins to flow through. Um, and then once you do that and you're in this space, this mind space of lightheartedness or a little bit more happy, you can then bring that to your team instead of walking in the room and, and being extremely frustrated. Maybe you put on your favorite song and you just jam out in the car really quick. And then you walk into the meeting and you're like, all right, I got this. I'm Mm -hmm. my mood is lifted a little bit more and I can actually handle whatever crisis situation I need. So this reminds me of, um, and I don't know what the official name for it or if there is even is one. Uh, it's something I call context breaking. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically you are in, let's say, a corporate work environment and that has a particular context to you like that has its rules and so on and so forth that um, it means something. Um, And and by dancing or even just uh, playing a little bit of music, uh, you're able to sort of break out of that context and approach it in a from a a different point of view. Um, Have you seen with the people you've worked with, because the, the big problem with context breaking is that there's so much resistance to it. Like we have these contexts for a reason. So have you seen that when you go into an environment or when you're speaking to, to people that they're sort of resisting what you're trying to get them to do? Oh yeah. I gave a talk, 
at one place and I asked everybody to stand up and maybe two people out of 65 Mm -hmm. started to stand up and it took a little bit of encouragement and we're just not used to that. We're used to, if you, if you are set in your ways and you know what you know and you don't, you're not really as open to different ideas, you, you automatically have this resistance to it for those that eventually, eventually the whole room stood up. And after the exercise, you know, I was just having people bounce around in their, in their own space, just getting the, just kind of shaking, you know, and just hopping a little bit just to get the energy flow movement. And by the end of it, people who were resistant to doing this were laughing and smiling, you know, whether they thought it was stupid or whether they actually enjoyed it, their shift happened. Yeah. You know, so I think it's important. That's what matters. Yeah. Yeah. And just, and like you said, the, I love that term, the context breaking, because it's, we go through our days and sometimes it can be so stressful or sometimes there's just issues that are outside of our control. And we get into this feed loop, you know, where we're constantly either focusing on that problem, focusing on that problem, and we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to just break away and come back to it fresh. So if you are able to even just walk outside and take fresh air and then come back and you see it with clearer eyes, mm-hmm. you know, it's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And and then the other piece of this that um, I'm curious about is with what you do specifically, uh, there is this level of maybe not wanting to, to engage because of sort of this fear of being judged or, or this fear of, uh, being embarrassed. Um, and, and that example of, of maybe two people standing up when you were speaking, it reminds me of like back in middle school when you're at a school dance and everybody's like, the boys are all on one side, the girls are on, all on one side. And it's not until one person decides to start dancing that everyone finally feels comfortable doing it because they're no mm-hmm. longer if, uh, fearful of being judged because it's already been done. Um, have you found any strategies to help people get over that when you're noticing it in in the rooms that you're a part of? Yes. I usually make a fool of myself. (laughs) You (laughs) know, I sacrificial lamb. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice myself or I'll just make a joke out of it. Like nobody cares. Just stand up. This is for you. And, and reminding people that they can either, they can close their eyes or have the whole room close their eyes so nobody feels like anybody is looking at them. But just reassure them that this it's a judgment-free zone. And the person that's judging you the most is yourself. Because the person next to you probably wants to do the dance or probably wants to do the exercise or probably wants to do the activity, but they feel a little sheepish standing up first. So you're actually doing the person next to you justice if you jump in and are like, all right, cool, I'm here. You know, I led, um, I led a couple sessions at a retreat this past weekend and some of the women were nervous and a little resistant. And once they warmed up to it and once they saw that I was joking around and, and moving around even more erratically and making a big deal, they, <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, cool. I can, I can shimmy a little bit or I can move my shoulders. And then a minute or two in, they're actually moving their whole body. You know, so it it just takes you that little bit of a minute to warm up to it. But if you don't push past your edges 
And if you don't push into something that you're a little bit uncomfortable with, you're not going to grow. You're going to just stay right where you are complacent. And it's, it's in those moments where we do things that we're a little bit curious about or that we're a little bit uncomfortable with, but we want to. If you just step into that, even just for a couple moments, your growth is exponential. So how did, um, how did you get yourself to a point that, uh, and maybe you were always this way and definitely let me know if that was the case as well, but how did you get yourself to a point that you were okay, uh, making yourself that, that sacrificial lamb and sort of em- quote unquote embarrassing yourself in order to make others feel comfortable? I, I was shy. I was a very, very shy kid. And it wasn't until my twenties that I started, uh, maybe, you know, late, late teens and early twenties getting more comfortable in my skin. Um, but now, I mean, there's times where I'll be speaking and I really don't want to make a fool of myself. And I will just to make other people comfortable. So I'll push past my own edges to be that person. So other people can feel like they can also step into this space. Um, So it's not necessarily something that it's, oh, this is just me. It's, I just want to make everybody feel good. So I'll just do it. Right. So it's almost because it's for another person, Mm -hmm. it becomes easier for you to do it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Interesting. I'm trying to to figure out if there is some practical application of that for, you know, the regular person who isn't necessarily leading a group from the stage, but maybe is in the crowd and and is uh, feeling that sense of fear, but wants to push past it. Like how how can they either practice that and start to do it more often or how can they uh, teach themselves to, to get past it? Um, because if it, people get stuck because it's hard. And so if it was as simple as just saying, Hey, we'll do it, then it wouldn't even be a conversation we were having. Well, it goes back to the resistance that we were talking about earlier in the fear of judgment. Um, and I don't have any, secret to it Mm -hmm. other than just doing it, just step into it, try it. And if it doesn't fit or if it doesn't feel good after a couple moments and you just really hated it, then maybe that's not for you. Or maybe there's a different approach that you can take, but that's up to a personal level. You know, my, my whole thing is if something makes me uncomfortable, but I kind of want to do it, I just take a breath and say, here I go. And I just kind of imagine myself pushing myself into the crowd or imagine myself saying, okay, I'm going to raise my hand on this one and answer it. You know, I had always a fear of answering the wrong thing in, in school. So I never would raise my hand, you know, and even days or places now I'll be shy. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I should, I don't know. But again, it's, it's my own personal growth. And if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it for me? That's a, that's a really, really uh, strong line. Uh, if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it for me? One of the things that, um, cause similar to you, I, I grew up incredibly shy. I still consider myself uh, fairly shy. Um, but 
I made a, a rule for myself back in high school that to this day I still try to, to do. And it was that whenever I felt that feeling in my stomach of uh, fear of doing something uh, out of embarrassment or, or being fearful of judgment rather than any kind of danger, um, once that, that feeling in the pit of your stomach comes, it means you have to do it immediately and there's no t- not giving yourself time to question it. Um, and that definitely is not an easy way to go about it, but, uh, because I made it a a habit in high school from however many years ago, it's something that now to this day, I still have that feeling when I get up on stage to speak or, uh, when I'm uh, not so much doing these interviews, but when I do an in-person interview for a, a TV show or something like that, I still have that feeling, but now I'm at least used to having it and doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I am the same way. I will be sitting in on the sidelines ready to go up and speak on stage. And I'm, literally telling myself, I don't want to do this. How do I get out of this? I don't want to do this. (laughs) And then the first, you know, I take the first step and I remember why I do it. And it just is that exhilaration. It's the information sharing. It's the people who, you know, if it's just at least a couple people or one person that gets that one thing, that's awesome. And that's the whole reason we're doing this, you know, and, and for even when I'm leading these workshops or sessions with a group of people, I'm like, all right. Okay. Give me, give me a strength to give them whatever they need, you know, and, and then go do it. So there, I always have this pump up, you know, I have to pump myself up or just tell myself what you have something that somebody needs in there. And that's the reason you're here. So go do it and go give it and give it your all hundred percent. And there's, there's no other option. Yeah. And maybe if we uh, jump back to um, what you're trying to help people do with with uh, dance and movement, maybe context breaking is is how you feel that fear and do it anyway by, by simply giving yourself the time ahead of time to mm-hmm. dance or to move and, and shake your body and, and do something ridiculous and silly that feels embarrassing and scary and stupid. But it, it allows you to start thinking about the main thing, the thing you actually have to do, whether that's giving a presentation at work or a job interview or, or speaking on stage. If you are going that route, whatever it is, it allows you to get over the fear of that because you just did this other really stupid thing. Exactly. Just moral to the story is just do stupid, stupid stuff. (laughs) Make people laugh and you're good. (laughs) That is the best rule of life. This was such a a fantastic interview. I I had a ton of fun uh, having you here. Tell us um, how we can connect with you, how we can learn more about you, uh, maybe connect with uh, the the Femme Method, the podcast. What's the stuff that we can do to, to go further in this conversation? First off, thank you for having me on here. This was, this was awesome. And I love the questions. It's, it's fun to dive deep in these, um, in this whole space. So thank you for having me here and, uh, people, if they want to connect, I'm on Instagram at kirsten.asher. They can also go to kirstenasher.com and Femme Method and my culture and leadership stuff is there. So they can decide which space they want to go into 
and uh, the Art of Being Feminine podcast. That's actually on iTunes and Stitcher. So you can find our iTunes podcasting and Stitcher. And uh, that I'm really excited about because I'm starting to bring on, I actually just did three more interviews uh, with men to talk about them and their feminine, them and feminine women and their goals and, and business and building. So um, it's becoming more of a gender, uh, both gender type thing. So that's really exciting. Um, and other than that, those are my places. Beautiful. And for anyone listening who uh, maybe is a, a man and thinking, oh, well, you know, I don't need to listen to that podcast called The Art of Being Feminine. Uh, I was uh, recently a guest on there. And here's what I can tell you. This is something I strongly believe. Uh, the mark of a strong man is one who understands that they can they can manage being a little bit more feminine. So there, it's, it's definitely worth a listen to even just learn a bit more about Kirsten and her philosophies on life because clearly... She's doing something that works and there is a ton we can all learn from her. So Kirsten, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for sharing your message, sharing your, your experiences, sharing your time. And to those of you listening, thank you for being here. It means the world to me that you are willing to spend any amount of time with me and the people I choose to bring on. And so I am humbled by your decision to be here. Uh, if you have not already click the subscribe button. That is the best way to make sure you never miss a new episode. I don't know how it all works, but basically when you click the button, things just show up on your phone and that's pretty cool. So click that subscribe button. You will never miss a new episode. And as always, remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day. Every day.